how to start? Well, you know, it's just writing. I mean, here's something important to remember about dialogue. Every word matters. No, it doesn't. They're modern. I want to go to this place that I think it needs to go to. The only thing that counts is what you see on the screen. I will write like four or five, six hours a day. And it will be a voice made of ink and rage. Okay, I'm, re I'm really glad you asked me that question. Welcome to the Creative Principles Podcast. I'm your host, Brock Swinson. Over the past 200-plus episodes, I've had the good fortune of speaking with dozens of screenwriters, actors, and directors, such as Aaron Sorkin, Mel Brooks, Carrie Fukunaga, Whitney Cummings, Michael Imperioli, and William Monaghan, among others. We've dissected ideas on story, character, filmmaking, habits, and various principles for creative life. If this is your first time listening, make sure to hit that subscribe button on iTunes or SoundCloud. You can also find several of these interviews on the Creative Screenwriting Magazine website, in addition to some that aren't available in audio, such as with Nick Kroll or Stephen Merchant. In addition to the podcast, also make sure to search for the new video essay series on YouTube, also called Creative Principles, where we take a deep dive into movies and television. Join millions of viewers for subjects like the 16 personalities expressed as characters. Did Home Alone, Rowan John uses career, the greatest movie never made, and how Jackie Chan creates perfection through failure, among many more. That's Creative Principles on YouTube. Alice Wetterland started her career with improv and stand-up. As a comedian, she's performed on shows like Conan O'Brien. As an actress, she's best known for her roles on Space Force, New Girl, Silicon Valley, and most recently as Darcy Bloom on Resident Alien. The new series is about a crash-landed alien who takes on the identity of a small-town Colorado doctor. He slowly begins to wrestle with the moral dilemma of his secret mission on Earth. In this interview, Alice talks about finding her voice on stage, improv versus stand-up, her start in commercial acting, how luck factors into any career, acting within character, her private radio show for the new cast, and how established archetypes can do anything. I was having kind of like an early midlife crisis when I started doing improv at UCB in New York. I had like uh, I was going through a really bad breakup and I was, you know, sort of didn't know what to do with my life. I'd gone to art school. Um, I did four years at Cooper Union. Um, I got a bachelor of fine arts. And then after that, I didn't know what to do um, because I wasn't good at art. And I, so I just like worked in retail and I had this feeling like, oh my God, I'm supposed to be doing something and I don't know what it is. And, and I, and I did, I did do stuff in high school and my mom, you know, enrolled me in like a theater camp at one point, but I hated it. And, uh, yeah, I just didn't, I don't know. I didn't fit in. And so, um, I, I don't know at, at a certain point I like went to, Oh, you know what? I remember what it was. My friend who was a fashion designer, I had like a friend who was like her name's Samantha Pleat and she had like a fashion show and she put me in it. And then she had like a film that she made with it. She's really creative. And, and I remember she hired like a real director and I had this feeling when it, I like the director was like telling me what to do. I was like, I'm good at this. Like I can do this. 
And that was kind of the first thing I did. And then I just didn't like, I just, I started eating all the pieces I could eat of, of that world. And I went and took improv. I loved it. I started doing standup. I loved it. I was like, I never have to do another thing in for the rest of my life. Did you find it difficult to go from improv where you kind of have a group setting to stand up where it's more you alone out there? It's such a relief. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Cause I loved doing improv because I liked to be cerebral and think about like, I had this teacher, Curtis Gwynn, he writes for the walking dead. Now I think he's great, but he was an incredible teacher. I love the way that he talked about comedy as an art form. It wasn't, you know, just, you know, watermelons and mallets. It was like really this elevated thought process and this game theory. And I loved, I loved thinking about that, but in practice, improv is a trust exercise and it's a lot about giving and taking. And I just wasn't ready for that when I started comedy. I, I wanted to be the star of the show and I, I just wanted to be, I wanted my ideas, my ideas, my ideas. And improv is not about <laughs> your own ideas. <laughs> so I just never really got good at it. I started doing comedy and stand up and I just was like, never looked back really. I did both things for a while together, but how did it go in the beginning? Did you find your voice quickly? Did you bomb a lot? What was kind of those that first bit I like? I bomb a lot. I bombed not that long ago at like a friend's show. It's really embarrassing. I mean, not bomb, but like I was like went up there all cocky and then I was like, okay, pretty rusty. Um, yeah, I did. I bombed a lot. My first show was in a downstairs at Ochi's, this place called Ochi's. It was like the the lower level of comics, which was on eighth Avenue and 14th street. And, um, it was literally five people and nobody showed up for the open mics. They were going to cancel it. And my friend, Sean Perlman is amazing. He writes for Rick and Morty, but he, um, he, he convinced the five people to stay. Cause it was my first open mic. And they were like, just waiting for a show upstairs to start. So they're like, sure, we'll do this five minute thing with this adorable, you know, um, drunk girl. And, uh, and I, it went so well because it was such a strange circumstance, right? They were like supportive and, and it went well. And I was like, I'm a natural, you know, and then I bombed for six months straight. So I ate it so hard and it was, both are important. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What advice might you have for women starting today? I mean, is there anything different about it? How are comedy clubs kind of changing and that type of thing? I think they're really different. I mean, I started over 10 years ago and, and they're mm -hmm. like, they're still, you know, you can find creepy places or you, I mean, I think if you're on the coast, it's a lot easier to find like a, uh, a niche or a group that you fit in with. I mean, there's like 40 different standup communities in, in New York or LA, mm -hmm. but you know, if you're working in Indianapolis, it's probably a little different. Um, but it's getting better. And I, you know, the club circuit is still a little, the, the club circuit is surprisingly white and male. Like it's 2022. And like this, a lot of the lineups we pointed out after they started coming back after the pandemic, I know Jen Kirkman and Lori Kilmartin and people were, were like posting about this, like the lineups were like 10 guys, you know, right. over and over and over again. And you're like, <laughs> what did we backslide a decade? This is weird. Um, so it's, it's not, you know, it's a little bit of a uphill battle, but 
um, the kind of comedy that is just a hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of coming back into vogue, the kind of comedy that's like a hundred percent punching down and like uh, objectifying women. It's like sort of having a moment right now. And it's, and like homophobic transphobic comedy is, is having a moment. Um, But it's a moment, you know, audiences don't, you know, real comedy audiences, or at least people trying to have a good night, a, a good date, aren't like there to see, you know, people dead name Caitlyn Jenner. Yeah. Like that's right. not what they're there for. They just want to talk about traffic or whatever. Right. right. <laughs> did you, how did you kind of move into some of your acting work? Did you start off writing? What was that transition like? Mm, I no, I actually started doing uh, commercials. This is another UCB connection. I was really lucky because I, there was a, com- a commercial acting class and um, y- you could audit it at UCB and I took it. And this agent, Phil Cassis, who works at Talent Works, which is a like basically the, the agency that represents all comedic commercial actors in New York, um, picked me up. They just swooped me up right away. And then it was the whole point of this class was to learn to audition for commercials, but it was also to get an agent and they saw something. And I was so, ugh, it was, I was really lucky and they, and they grabbed me and, and um, I booked relatively quickly. Like there was a, I, again, like I auditioned the, and it is luck. A lot of people who work in entertainment are like, I just got lucky, you know, and they don't want to take credit for, you know, being talented, but this one situation was a hundred percent like because commercial acting is a cattle call there. There's not, it's not personal. Like you're not, they're not like a lot of it is just like too. No, they're too tall. I can't. So I was in a lineup of people and there was literally like, they went down and they were like, make a face. Like you're like, what's going on over there. And they're just like, we're like you. Okay. You, okay. You, okay. You, okay. You. And then I got a call back and they booked me from, from that. So and then that commercial aired. It was an AT&T commercial and it aired. And I got like $100,000 because back in the day, you could make $100,000 in residuals. So I like quit my job, started doing that <laughs> and nice. then eventually moved to LA. So that one is kind of different. Now that you've been on some shows, you had a little spot on, or maybe an episode of New Girl, you're on Silicon mm-hmm. Valley, People of Earth. Are there things you're doing when you're around a bunch of funny people to make yourself noticeable? Like, do you, how do you bring your personality to these characters? Oh, oh, okay. That's an interesting question. Like, how do I, like there's so much, how do I stand out? Yeah, I guess so. Like, or I don't know. That to me is like, I would say like a natural environment as a stand up. you know, if you're in a group of people, it's like, as a standup, your job is to, you know, hold the, hold the, for the moment that is your moment on stage, you hold the audience's attention. And there is this total competition vibe with your other, your other standup comedians. So yeah, there's a little, there's like, when you're doing, um, an improvisational heavy show, there is this like one up people are trying to like you know, get, everybody has to have, have the last laugh. And that happened a lot on Silicon Valley. Like people would like, like they'd, I'd have a joke that was in the script and then like somebody would always have to be like, now it's my joke afterwards. Um, and there was this element, this weird, like com- competitive vibe. Um, but I'm, hmm, I guess a, on this show on, on resident alien, I'm lucky to be 
in the position that like it's me and Harry a lot of the time are the comedic support. We we don't, you know, I don't have to compete that that much, except we're when Corey Reynolds is there. Um, and then it's just a joy. Like we were on set recently and uh, we were we had one scene where we like kind of over, our characters kind of overlapped and we were like, why don't they put us in more scenes together? And they were like, can we just get one scripted? And we're like, oh, that's why because it's impossible to manage us. And then situations where improv is encouraged, that type of thing. Do you yeah. find that everyone is is hitting the like the Mike Judge notes or whatever it is? Or are you still bringing maybe some of your stand up? Like, how do you see your comedy matching other comedies in that moment? I mean, it's, I don't really see. Yeah. I mean, it, it depends on the character and there's an element of acting to it, you know, like I, for the Silicon Valley character of Carla, you know, um, that was a really different character than the one that I originally brought into the audition. So the stuff that I was saying, I mean, it is, there is a version of that person in my standup, but it's a version of it. It's not like I, you know, she, she wouldn't use certain voices. She wouldn't use certain references. So I, you know, you, you improvise within that, those parameters. Um, but it, the, but the writing, you know, I think about it like, uh, the character on friend, Joey's character on friends, like he's an archetype, you know, but within that archetype, there's a, once you establish who somebody is, if you establish it really well, they can do anything. You know, Joey can give sage life advice or Joey can, you know, have the answer to a particularly um, difficult riddle. Mm -hmm. And it's funny because he does it as Joey. So it's actually, oh, it's funny because Joey did it, you know. Right. So it's it's like the writing can be anything as long as you kind of have established the character enough. It's kind of just like a pivot within the what we already know and that type of thing. Yeah. Were you surprised by, or what was your experience like with this giant success of like Resident Alien? Because I feel like it was, didn't get a lot of publicity and then recently has really blown up. Did it kind of come later or what's that like from the inside? Um, It's like a labor of love, <laughs> honestly. I, I, I mean, you know, it's, I'm, I gotta be, I, I gotta be honest. I'm really grateful. And, and I do feel really lucky to be working on a show that, um, like I care about my job. I want to keep my job, you know? And, but I also like some days you're working on something and you do your best and you feel weird. You know, you don't feel like valued or, you, you know, you see other people are being treated poorly or something like there's a lot of, you know, messy stuff in Hollywood. And, and you're just like, oh, I'm lucky to have a job, you know, but this job is, uh, I feel at least I feel more seen than I have in a long time. Like Chris writes Darcy for me. And that to me is like, never going to happen again. Never happened before. I just, the once in a lifetime experience. And and so I, I push the show all the time and everybody who works on the show, we push the show all the time and the publicity, you know, it, it hasn't been great. It's hard because there's a 600 shows on the air, you know, right. I mean, there's like 559 shows, I think that they said, and it's, it's not easy to find your audience. And, 
um, and to compete in that, in that world. So for us, it's like, we live tweet it. We post about it. We talk to people about it. We try to do these, you know, this and talk about it to people who want to listen because we love it. It's, it's a family for us. And, um, and we love the story. And I, I personally, we all have our reasons for loving, but I, I personally love where the story is going so much with, um, with the, the native community in, in the area. And I think it's such an interesting statement about um, environmentalism and the impact of humanity on the world and what it would look like from somebody from outside. Um, so, I, yeah. What were, so what were some of your early conversations with Chris, the creator, like about your character? How did you kind of do those things together, have those conversations? We were just talking about this yesterday because, um, we have a scene coming up that I was kind of trying to rework with him. And he had said to he said to me early on, like, you know, we, we cast, we, we created Darcy to be a wing woman for Asta, somebody to lighten her up. So originally Darcy was very bubbly. She was an invented character. She wasn't from the original IP from the dark horse comics. She was a invention to make Asta less like constantly having to cry and be the exposition person and, and to show a lighter side of, of Asta that she has a life outside of this new crime story. And, um, and then I came in and it was not, it was kind of like an Ellie Kemper vibe they wanted. And then I came in and it wasn't that, I don't know what I did actually, but they were like, maybe a different direction for Darcy. Just, um, just based on that, they kind of rewrote her for the pilot. And then um, I improvised that line at the funeral. And I was like thinking how on, like, who is the person who's interested in this guy that comes to town? Like this guy sucks. He's very rude, you know? And I had been in relationships with guys like that. Like uh, honestly in my life and, and earlier when I was drinking, you know, I'm, I'm in recovery now, but like, I was like, that's who's into him. Somebody who's bored, maybe has an alcohol problem and is just like, ugh, everybody in this town is so nice. And this guy comes along and he's like, you're disgusting. And she's like, oh. And so I kind of made Darcy a, who, who I thought would be attracted to somebody like Harry. And so then Chris said, like, he's started to learn how to write for her when there was a scene in, in uh, I think, I don't know, 106, where she goes with Asta to Harry's cabin and she's like lifting up her pants or like the back of her shirt. And she's like, yeah, talking about her ex. And then she, as she leaves the bathroom, she says like, I improvised, like, just kidding. I wouldn't shit in your toilet. (laughs) And he was like, okay, I know who this person is. I know how to write for this person now. Hmm. So it's, it was the collaboration really makes me happy. So it's not so much like you weren't necessarily literally sitting and talking There's some of that, but a, a lot of it's yeah. just like how the actors are playing on the show. It naturally yeah. takes shape over time. Yeah. They call it like putting a scene on its feet. And, and uh, for me, it was putting Darcy on her feet and, you know, Chris and I had discussions about it and about the specifically like the, uh, the abusing substances angle and, and that that's something we might have as part of it, but we haven't really, we don't want to have it be like overt, you know? So we've kind of hinted at that here and there. Um, but 
it's generally like he writes for me. He writes for Alice Wetterland. You know, I'm very Darcy-esque when we hang out in a group. I'm extremely, I'm an extrovert. I'm very loud. I'm very commanding. I perform constantly. I'm just always on and, you know, um, but I'm also extremely fiercely loyal to the people that I love and I will walk on coals for them. And uh, yeah, I always say like, I'm a force of nature for better or worse. (laughs) So my, my boyfriend is very patient with me. Say that. As you were kind of guesting on shows before this one, um, do you have any misconceptions about what it was like to actually be on a TV show, maybe longer term? I don't know. Um, One time I read this thing Alec Baldwin said um, that his daughter's an ungrateful, but I'm just kidding. Um, (laughs) This thing, (laughs) what if that was it? No, that um, like acting is just like he sitting and reading a magazine all day, you know, like it's just waiting. And, and so I never really got into theater. So I don't have that. Like, I mean, I did, I do stand up and improv I, for a long time, but, but I, I didn't have the expectation that there would be immediacy. So for me, um, I found out quickly that a lot of the fun stuff about acting is like goofing around with your co-stars or crew or whoever, when, when, uh, when you're not shooting and finding bits there and, you know, my co-star Levi and I have a radio show that we do just for the cast and we do it, you know, on weekends sometimes. And it's a live streaming that is like on a private server that people just from the show can tune tune into and sometimes crew and other cast and stuff. So um, yeah, it's just like that community is, is, you know, that's the, that's the cake and, and uh and the frosting. Nope. That's not, doesn't make sense, but you get it. Yeah. That's really unique. Cause a lot of people would want, like, if we're going to do this, I want everyone to be able to hear it, but you like the, the smallness of it or the, the small community. Like, I that. mean, I've been trying to tell Levi, we got to go, we got to go wide <laughs> because at first it was like, people were so into it. We started it during pandemic and everybody was so excited. It was like this quarantine pot, like podcast live streaming show that we did audio only, but um, and then like over the last few years, it's just been like, Oh good. You're doing that. You know, <laughs> so we're like, gotta go wide. This is great. Right. But I, for me, it's amazing because I I'm so free there. Like, I don't, I'm not worried at all about, you know, who's going to hear me say what. Mm-hmm. So I, and I don't say anything bad. It's just the, the freedom of that. Right. So I'm, I'm probably, I feel like I'm at my best on that show. Nice. We'll just do uh, one more. I generally like to kind of wrap up. Is there any advice you'd like to pass on to young comedians or anyone or any advice you wish you had in the beginning of your career? I'll just give the advice for, for standups that I got and that I am so grateful that I got. And it's really hard to take, but I did eventually take it. Like bombing is good. Definitely. I mean, not only is bombing good, but watching other people bomb is really good. When you go to shows, my biggest piece of advice is when, if you want to get good at standup, just to get good at it, because that in itself is its own, I think, pursuit. Just go to shows and pay attention. Don't talk in the back. I mean, talking in the back is really fun. And hanging out with other comedians is like the greatest thing you can do. But like, watch, watch people bomb, watch people do well, make a note of what they're doing. And it'll help you to figure out what you want to do and what, what works and what doesn't work and why 
things work and, um, and how audiences behave and like what, yeah. So that's, that's my, my biggest piece of advice for, for standups anyway. And if you want to do entertainment in general, and I guess my biggest piece of advice is like, just if you find something that you would do for free, like, and you don't need to get famous from it, do that. But if you're just doing something to get like a lot of money, <laughs> then you should just do a money job or whatever. Thank you for tuning in to the show. If it's your first time listening, make sure to hit that subscribe button and visit my new website for information on the YouTube channel, the blog, the podcast, and my new book, Ink by the Barrel, which takes advice from these 200 plus interviews and more at brockswinson.com. You'll see the link in the show notes. Thanks again.